good morning. Welcome to Sunday School. Find my seat here. There we go. All right. Well, let's go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians, where we've been for our um, Sunday School Hour. Uh, We've begun studying that book, looking in detail about the things that... uh, God wants us to know about our Christian walk, about uh, avoiding the things of false doctrines, um, seeing that there is an effect that can occur when false doctrine is uh, uh, somehow integrated, included, or affects uh, our Christian life. And uh, um, one of the main things that, uh, again, when it comes to false doctrine that we understand is is that it uh, takes... What we know about Christ, what we know about God, what we know about his word, and it corrupts it, it pollutes it. Um, you know, false doctrines that exist out there, the ones that uh, um, that uh, sometimes seem very benign, uh, uh, can be damaging if the thought processes are allowed to go further and they're allowed to uh, affect how we think. So we want to make sure that obviously those things are set aside, and in order to do that, we have to have the establishment of the truth. So as we began to go through, we began to see six desires, if you will, the overall arching desire that had kind of six points to it, about what Paul wants for this church at Colossae. And again, this translates into what God wants for us. This is, uh, again, what we should desire for everyone else. This is, again, what every pastor and Sunday school teacher and junior church teacher, all these people should desire that they see in others. And we're going to just kind of pick up here again in this uh, this passage, um, uh, going down here uh, to... Uh, verse 9, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you may, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of uh, the saints in light. And we're going to stop there with that verse, and then we'll continue on. But what we find very clearly is that this is his desire. We're talking about uh, being filled with the knowledge of God's will uh, in a specific way, which we discussed last week, Uh, talking about walking worthy talking about increasing in the knowledge of God, talking about being fruitful in every good work, and talking about strengthening it in all might, and also talking about giving thanks. These are things that we as Christians should want to see in others that we need to be exemplifying in our life. So as we continue to go through this, and as we continue to um, uh, um, see the things that, that God's Talking about here, I want us to, again, go back to that very first one, talking about being filled with the knowledge of his will and some of the things that are important about that. So when we start talking about the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his will, the wisdom that's included in there, because he talks about it with wisdom and spiritual understanding. The will of God cannot be understood with human wisdom, the wisdom of man. The will of God cannot be grasped with a 
uh, a, a, a humanistic understanding of it. Uh, many people will try to do that. Many people will try to apply uh, the flesh to spiritual things. It, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And last week we saw over there in Psalm chapter 110, uh, 111 verse 10, talking about some of the things of the fear of the Lord. Take a look over at, uh, keep your place here in uh, Colossians, and let's go over to the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, again, addresses this issue, and these are, again, principles that we see that we just saw over there in Psalm 110, or 111 verse 10. But in verse 7 of Proverbs chapter 1, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And again, we're talking about that foolish mentality, that foolish mindset. And again, to put that into perspective, is somebody that is ignoring God, is discounting who he is, wants nothing to do with him. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We as Christians can act that way where we're trying to do things in our own power. And what we see here is he's saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of knowledge. So in order to get a comprehension of what God's will is, we have to have a good healthy fear of him. We have, we need to know what that fear means. And again, it's not, you know, the quaking in our boots type mentality of what fear is. And we've talked about the fear of the Lord. But what we see here is we see that that's the very first step. And when you begin to know who God is, you begin to fear who he is. Because of what he's done, because of his promises, because of his word, and because of what he will do and what he is currently doing. All of these things are very much tied to that. And that's the beginning of knowledge. So if we want to know his will, we've got to fear. Just like, again, when we're talking about wisdom. Because if you go over to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, again, a very parallel passage. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of holy, the holy is understanding. Now, now here's an important thing to understand about God's will. God's will will never, ever involve sin in your life. To accomplish God's will, it will never involve you sinning. Why? Because we see right here, he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. He says, we're supposed to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and under, and spiritual understanding. So to get that spiritual understanding, we have to understand what holiness is. We have to look into what holiness is. Holiness is the absence of sin. It's, it, 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 it's not there. You know, sin is an action, and it's also referred to as unrighteousness, and we know that righteousness is the opposite of the action of sin. But when we're talking about what sin is, and what sin does, and the things that are, are related to that, we have to know what the holiness is. A lot of times people will, under, will, will, will understand and have a common understanding of what sin is, but they won't have a clue about what is holy. They won't have a clue about what is holy. They've got the thou shalt nots down, but they don't have the thou shalt do's down. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They they, they they wing it. 
Well, I know I'm not supposed to kill anybody. Well, praise God for that, I guess, you know. <clears throat> I mean, that's a, that's a good step in the right direction. <laughs> you know, hopefully that's not, you know, something that's a common response. But, you know, I got the thou shalt not steal down. Okay, okay, okay. But how about the thou shalt not steal specifically when you're talking from God? Robbing God of vengeance, robbing God of his glory, robbing God of... Uh, um, uh, of all those things that belong to him. So a lot of times people may have this understanding uh, of what they think sin is, but they don't understand what the holiness is and how to accomplish that. God says, be ye holy as I am holy. People are like, oh, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. It's a decision. It's a choice. Oh, no, 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 you don't understand. It's just, you know, that's just my sinful nature. Well, didn't God put a new creature inside of you? Isn't there a new man that was created unto righteousness? Hmm. So again, it comes down to what we yield ourselves to. And let's just face it, that yielding is choice. The yielding is choice. So we're talking about it just the other day, talking about that passage over there in the book of Hebrews, where, you know, you haven't strived against sin unto blood. Meaning you haven't gotten so involved in the fight against sin in your life that blood has been shed. Well, Jesus Christ did that. But we're not willing to do that. I mean, if the striving against sin meant that we had to walk five miles out of our way, it's like, oh, man, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to, you know, I'll just go through the temptation and and, and I'll be fine. No, no. God gave us a means of escape, and if that means you go around five miles, it means you go around five miles. We've got to understand what the will of the Lord is, and in order to do that, we've got to understand the holiness. We've got to understand that holiness part of it. Turn over to chapter 15 of the uh, book of Proverbs. Chapter 15, and in verse 33, God says, The fear of the Lord is, uh, is the instruction of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Meaning that wisdom is not just going to happen upon you because of whatever. Some people think that wisdom comes from experience. Wisdom does not come from experience. Wisdom comes from instruction. It's taught. It's taught. Some people get this mentality uh, when it comes to, to to what wisdom is, and they get this mindset that they think that uh, uh, wisdom is something that just naturally comes with old age. No. No, I've seen people of all ages make bad choices and bad decisions. I, mean, I think we can all agree with that. I think we can all testify to that thing. But very clearly, he's saying it's an instruction. It's an instruction. Let's think about this for a minute. When Solomon asked for wisdom, and we go over there into the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 4, and he begins to describe what his dad told him. Well, who is Solomon's dad? David. The king. You know what part of that, uh, getting that wisdom was that Solomon had? Was he listened to his father. He listened to his father. Because he quotes his father. In detail. In detail. 
So wisdom is something that has to be instructed. So in order to be instructed in something, what do you have to do? You have to learn to listen. You have to learn to be, you know, to, 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 you just have to learn. It's an education process. It's a, it's a process of, of showing this and showing that and showing this and showing that and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth of, of, of what's right and what's wrong. All of those things. It's an instruction process. You know, nowadays you can learn just about anything you want from YouTube. Everything from, you know, replacing a, a, a car battery to changing its oil to, uh, you know, running an oil platform in the, the, the Gulf of Mexico to, you know, geopolitical uh, debates and negotiation, right? You can learn everything on the Internet. And what is it? It's a process of instruction. And let's say you're out there and you're trying to figure out something. I've done this before where something that I've, uh, uh, for some reason, either I couldn't understand what the instructions were because they were so poorly written. I went online and, and get further detail about it and things uh, of that nature because I want to make sure I'm doing it right. And you get on there and there's something about this, you know, this instruction and the, and the guy just shows a picture and all you hear is dialogue and you don't hear anything about halfway through. You're like, I have no idea what's going on, where I am at, what, what what's happening here. And so you scroll down and you find another one and the guy actually shows you how to do it. You see his hands and you see what he's doing. You see how he's putting it together, what he's taking apart, doing all those things. He's instructed. Well, that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is a piece-by-piece, step-by-step process. And it does not just come overnight. It doesn't just come because somebody's been saved. Again, those are things that have to be, if you will, learned. But what we see there in the second part of that verse, it says, and before honor is humility. So so once we realize these things, we got to also realize that that in order to get to this point, Honor is going to be involved, and that's part of fearing God. So what needs to be inserted? Humility. The will of God will never involve your pride. It will involve your humility. Your humbleness. Your view of yourself. And generally, one of the main reasons why people are not filled with the, the knowledge of God's will is because that pride stands in the way. It's a big thing. This is an issue for the nation of Israel. They couldn't grasp those concepts. They had a hard time. Why? They were spiritually blind. And what blinded them? Their sin and their idolatry and themselves. Their own will. Their own will. Going back over there to uh, the book of Colossians in chapter 1, taking a look there at verse 10, he says that, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. What God wants for our life is to walk worthy. Now, again, the Christian life is portrayed in many different typologies in Scripture. We've got everything from a battle. So we've got the armor of God. We've got a fight that's going on. 
We see it as, you know, uh, bearing burdens. So we see it in, in, in that sense where it is a much, very much a labor. We see it as a building project in 1 Corinthians 3. And we see it as building it. And then also in 2 Timothy uh, um, 3, we also see it as being furnished. So we've got uh, architecture and construction and interior design, all kind of rolled up into one, right? And then we see it as, a, as if you will, a, a, a husbandry type thing, a, a agriculture. Seeds being planted, seeds being watered, and seeds growing. Growing in Christ. We see it uh, in, in such a sense that he refers to, to things about being fruitful that we just see here. Christian life is trees. But the Christian life is also portrayed as a walk. And it's a walk in a path. And it's a walk in a certain way. And it's the direction that God wants us to go. So first and foremost, again, as we go through this process, I want you to understand this. There's a process with this. You know, Paul didn't just haphazardly throw these six things in there and go, okay, well, that seems good enough. And hopefully, they're, you know, they'll get the point. No, they're put together for a reason. So when the Lord wrote the Bible and put it down and worked in, in these men to write these things, I want, to, I want to be very clear. He didn't just do it in a haphazard manner, hoping that it was going to be uh, good enough. He put it together for a reason. When you look at lists, often is the case, there is a reason why they are put together the way they are. So he starts off with the knowledge of God's will. And, you know, having that wisdom and spiritual understanding to, to get God's will. Now we're moving on to this part about walking worthy. To, to, to walk worthy. And it's going to be very important because in order to walk worthy, we've got to know what path we're supposed to be going down. We've got to know what speed we're supposed to be going. We've got to know what direction we're supposed to be going. That is all incorporated in God's will. That's part of God's will. Part of God's will is the direction, the speed, the, the 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 path, the road you're supposed to be on, and the way you're supposed to be walking. So he's talking about this, and he's saying, look, the, the, the manner in which we're supposed to be walking is not just some, if you will, casual stroll in the garden. You know, sometimes people get bored, and they're like, well, I'm going to go for a walk. And you're like... Well, good on you, I guess. Um, you know, you know, walking in the Pacific Northwest is, I mean, you're taking your life in your own hands. You never know what's going to happen. You know, you're walking along and the next thing you know, it's bright and sunny. And then all of a sudden there's a sudden downpour and there's a thunderstorm tornado with snow and hurricane and, uh, you know, sharks falling out of the sky. I mean, you never know in the Pacific Northwest. But, but, you know, people, people do that. People go on a walk. People walk for exercise. It's good exercise. It's a lot better than running. But, you know, a walk, a good brisk walk does, does do the body good physically. But I will say this. When you begin to think about that, people just going for a walk and they just kind of like, well, I'm doing it because I'm bored. Well, the Christian life isn't something you do because you're bored. Christian life isn't something that you do 
to benefit you physically, like exercise. No, the reason that we do the Christian walk, the reason that we are walking, is because God has asked us to. Because he's commanded that we do. Go over to Ephesians 4. There's a lot of parallels between, uh, uh, and we'll find this, between Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, even with Philippians. Those four books right there, they do, I mean, there's a lot of repeated phrases. And, and keep that in mind. We look at that and go, well, why is he repeating it? Why does he need to say it again? Well, he wrote these to four different churches. And when he wrote them to four different churches, they didn't necessarily get, the, the, you know, a copy as he's writing to, 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 to the church at Colossae, he's like, well, I'm going to go ahead and send a copy of Ephesians and Philippians and, uh, and Galatians just for their good measure. He didn't do that. So these are individual recipients, you know, churches being, you know, receiving these things. We get to look at it and we also get to understand God's idea of what repetition is. There's one thing if you've ever read through the Bible, you'll find out it's repetitious. You'll be sitting there looking at it going, didn't I just read that again? I mean, wait, wait a second, hold on. You know, I, I just read that over in First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel. And then you're over there in First and Second Chronicles and you're like, wait, 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 this is re- kind of repetitious. Go over to the book of Judges. And they did that which was right in their own eyes. And they did that which was right in their own eyes. And they did that which was right in their own eyes. And you're like, okay, I'm getting to see a pattern here. Pattern with kings, pattern with people, pattern with Israel. You go through the minor prophets, there's a pattern. You sin, you're going to get punished. But I love you, I'm going to give you mercy, and I'm going to give you the promise that I told you I was going to give you. Repetition. The Bible repeats it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Repetitious. Well, why is that? Because we're human beings and we don't get it the first time. <laughs> I mean, you know, let's just be, let's just be truthful with ourselves for a change, right? Mm-hmm. We don't get it the first time. We just don't. You know, some people, some people are amazingly brilliant. You know, they sit down and they got geometry at the first attempt. I'm like, oh yeah, I love this stuff. What's the matter with you? Who are you? Yeah, what? You know, the engineers, they get that stuff, right? Hopefully. <laughs> they need to. <clears throat> You sit down to, to, to legal stuff and I sit down to it and I'm like, oh yeah, this makes sense. And somebody else looks at it and goes, I have no idea what I just read. Hey, I just read something and it just looked like a word salad. I have no idea. Somebody just dumped everything into the, 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 the word Vitamix and hit blend. And I couldn't tell you what I read, couldn't tell you what's going on. And somebody sits down and goes, oh yeah, well this is this and that. That makes sense. And you're like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. But I'll tell you this, repetition over and over and over and over and over again is for the purpose for us to understand it. Take a look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. This is his desire for the church at Colossae. This is his desire for the church at Ephesus. This is the desire that God has for you. As his will, moving into his will... The first part that we see with the will of God is this, that you walk worthy. You walk worthy. Think about this for a second. If you have kids, great. 
if you can if you can relate to this, please don't say amen. It'll give you away. But uh, let's say let's say you've got a son, and uh, let's say they're, they're driving age, and they say, "Can I borrow the car?" And you're like, mm. and you're trying to debate. Okay, do I give them the car or do I go out and buy them, you know, the $500 car so that if it wrecks, then you're only out $500. You're not out your car, right? <clears throat> Start going through that line of thought and process, right? So you, you give them the keys to the car and they go and they drive it. And then um, next thing you know is you get a phone call from a state trooper. The state trooper says, need you to come pick up your son. I'm like, oh no, what now? Well, he was driving at a high rate of speed. He was trying to drift, um, lost control, smacked into a pole. Your car got cut in half. Your son's fine. He's all right. Airbags. The car did a good job at saving his life. But there's car parts all over the road and, uh, need you to come pick him up because currently right now, uh, he's in jail and, uh, you know, we're going to release him on his own recognizance, no bail, which is, you know, thank God for that. Cause if it was a bail thing, you'd be sitting there going, ah, I think I'm going to let him sit there until court date. <laughs> You're like, Oh no, no you know, or meddling. Uh, yeah, meddling. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you this, you know, you start looking at that and you go, man, let me ask you this question. He comes to you six months later after all that other stuff has been taken care of. Court costs, tickets are paid for, everything's handled, right? He comes to you and he says, can I borrow the car? And your response is, you are not worthy to borrow the car. You have not shown yourself worthy of exercising it. Here's the keys to the electric bike. Not, no, no, I'm not talking about like, you know, motorcycle. I'm talking about the, the pedal bike that you have to pedal for electricity that you see somebody drive it on the road. And as you drive by, you look at them and you kind of, you kind of don't want to, but you do. And you kind of go, ha, you, know, as you laugh, you know, because it's ridiculous. It's a pedal bike. Who does it have a motor for? And they can't figure out whether it's actually a motorcycle or whether it's, you know, in the States confused and, you know, whatever. And you're just sitting there going, you're, that's, you're worthy to walk, use that. You know, you see that scooter over there, that little two thing that you sit there and like, you know, you use your foot to, you're worthy for that. Car? No. Your actions have proven otherwise. So we start looking at the worthiness of what God has given us. And when we start talking about worth, let's think about this. How, how valuable to you is the forgiveness of sins? What's the value assigned to that? Well, immediately we're going to say there's no monetary value. Though man gain the whole world and lose his own soul, right? We, we, we get that concept. Okay, so, so, so how valuable is that? How valuable is that mansion that is in God's house? Real estate market's sliding down again. And people are panicking again. It's like it goes in cycles, folks. It just like repeats itself, alright? <clears throat> 
How valuable is that? How valuable is the provision of God on a day-to-day basis, our daily bread? God giving us strength. God giving us breath. God holding our cells together as we are actively trying to pull them apart (laughs) with whatever stunts and shenanigans we try to pull, right? Let's think about that. How, How valuable is the Word of God? How valuable is the teaching of the Holy Spirit? How valuable is the church? One of the biggest problems today is we're seeing individuals just walking away from from the faith. Uh, Last night, uh, it it just, I mean, just a horrific thing to hear. Uh, My my youngest daughter, Emma, she's got a friend, and uh, he... uh, he knows these, uh, they're called RAs. Um, it's basically, you know, the residence hall monitors, if you will, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And, uh, apparently he was there at the college and, um, and said something along the lines of he quit his RA position saying something didn't align with whatever, uh, he didn't align with what the school was teaching anymore. And it's a Christian college. And, um, Come to find out, uh, he, uh, he just passed away. This, not this friend, but this individual that Emma's friend knew. He passed away. Uh, and the details of his passing, um, are he was burglarizing a home and was shot by the police. In Mississippi or something like that. A couple days before, he just posted some things about, uh, you know, on his Instagram account about how great it is to make sure we're listening to the messages in chapel and college and stuff like that. What happened? What happened? Like that. What takes somebody that is going to a Christian college and is talking about the Bible and talking about how important it is and listening to messages and things like that, and then turn around and just not walk worthy. And pay the ultimate cost for not walking worthy. When we think about that, it's a very sobering thought. But but when we start talking about how we go about walking in this Christian life, there's things that are important. There's things that are important. It was an opportunity to, to begin to, you know, talk to our daughters and talk to others about, you know, people that are in younger generations don't put a value on things of God and they don't put a value on things that are spiritual and they don't put a value on things of church. And you see them begin to slip and fade away. And the, and the hope and the prayer is, is that maybe by the time they're 30, they might snap out of it and be, you know, come to their senses. Be in church. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes it doesn't happen until they're 50. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all. When we start talking about this walking worthy part, again, we've been given all these things. 
Walking worthy is talking about honoring what God's done for us. Walking worthy of the vocation wherein you're called. Now, vocation is a lot different than an occupation. Occupation is what you do just to fill time. A vocation is something that you do because you're purposing to do it. You're committing yourself to it. It doesn't say vacation, which is completely opposite of it doing anything. But the vocation is not just mere, if you will, idleness being filled. It's redeeming the time, as he talks about in the same book in chapter 5. So this vocation, he says, he says, I want you to walk worthy of the vocation wherein you're called. Uh, and then he begins to say, okay, this is how you're going to walk worthy. With all lowliness. Humility. Humility. We always want to push ourselves to the top of the, you know, top of the pile, right? We, we want to be that upper crust. No, God says low. What did John the Baptist say? He must increase, I must decrease. Why? Because this is God we're talking about. So we don't go into the Christian walk high-minded, thinking we're all that. We don't go into the Christian mindset, you know, walk with a mindset that, that we're uh, uh, that, that we're God's gift to salvation. That, that, that when, when God saved us, man, he really got like the star player of the draft. No, we probably got the guy that's got broken legs and a broken back. Let's just be honest about it. <laughs> and it's only through the strength of God that we're able to do anything that he calls us to do. Lowliness. In meekness. Meekness. We're not out there being braggadocious about what we've done. He talks about that over there in chapter 2 of the same book, same book of Ephesians. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Boasting is the opposite of meekness. You know what meekness is really about? It's just like what Moses did. Step back and let God handle it. Step back and let God do his work in your life without you fighting against him for your own will. Somebody comes to him and starts complaining because Moses married an Ethiopian woman. (gasps) Oh, the horror. What happens? Miriam gets leprosy and everybody like comes to a grinding halt and they're like, Moses, will you pray for her? <laughs> what, Aaron, you're not willing to pray yourself or are you just thinking God's not going to listen to you because if you're murmuring and complaining? God, thank God, you know, Moses heard, or Moses' prayer was heard. The whole, but, but her little murmuring, Cause the whole forward progression to stop. They stopped while she was without the camp and didn't move. Because, well, they weren't just going to leave her behind. 
Think about this for a minute. You know, we talk about meekness. Moses, when he was confronted about his who he was, and what he was doing, and the sons of Korah came, and they're like, well, you know, we think we should be in charge. Moses goes, well, I don't know. If not, you know, if, if God wants that, then that's fine. But if you're not, then God's going to do something. God's going to do something different. He'll open up the, 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 the ground and it'll swallow you whole. And it did. The ground opened up and they went alive down into the pit. Not a good sounding end to their rebellion. But he just, he let God handle it. Let God deal with those issues. He was firm when he needed to be firm, but at the same time, he was just letting God handle it because God knew best. So there we see two things that we need to understand about what this walking worthy is. And he says there with long suffering, which is interesting because he talks about that over in chapter 11 or in chapter um, one, verse 11 of Colossians talking about long suffering with joyfulness, right? That, that, that this is what's going to be yield when we yield to his strength. It says, with all lo- uh, lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, long suffering, your walk might be a suffering trial. And you're going to have to endure it for a long time. Now for us, you know, it, 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 three minutes is a long time. But how long has the Lord exhibited his long suffering? How long did he wait for you? How, how, how much effort did he continue to pour towards you so that you would have salvation? Man. Talk about long suffering. He says, you want to walk worthy of this vocation? You want to walk worthy? You know, church at Colossae, church at Ephesus, here's how you do this. Not only are you to be humble, not only are you to let God handle the situations and, 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 and trust Him, you, but you, but you gotta realize that you're gonna go through some stuff, do it without murmuring and complaining. Do it without murmuring and complaining. And I will, I will repeat that again. Do it without murmuring and complaining. You know what long suffering is? Learning to just, if you will, deal with it. Somebody offends you? Okay. Suffer yourself to be defrauded. Well, they might be purposing against you. Yeah, but how how often did the psalmist sit there and say, God, I want you to handle my enemies. You take care of it. Those are pretty horrific things that this psalmist was asking for the God to do the enemies. Hey, you read through there, it's like, yeah. But, you know, and again, it's because of their wickedness and what they were doing. But but we understand that the long-suffering is not frustrating ourselves. We frustrate ourselves and we get ourselves all worked up with fear and worry and anxiety and, and, and confusion. And just that, that you, you understand that thought process of what I'm talking about where you just like, you just want to, right? Long-suffering is sitting back and saying, all right, I know who I am. I know who God is. I'm going to let God handle it. I'm going to let him handle it the way it's going to be done. And if that means i got to go through some things here, then I'm just going to go through it. Why? Because the Lord's here with me. 
what long-suffering is about. And it says forbearing one another in love. You know what that means? That, yeah, people are going to say stupid things. And they're going to do even stupider things. And you're going to look at them and go, what are you thinking? Why? Why would you make that choice? And you know what forbearing is? Forbearing is coming alongside and helping. Forbearing is forgiving. Forbearing is comforting the feeble-minded and supporting the weak. Forbearing fulfills the law of Christ, which we are commanded to fill. Yes, we have laws that we must abide by as Christians. And that is found in Galatians 1, bear you another, uh, excuse me, Galatians 6, bear you one another's burdens. This, this is the mindset. He says, forbearing one another, and it's to be done in love. And you can't do it outside of love. Why? Because if you're doing it with love, you're doing it with God. Why? Because 1 John says, God is love. You can't forbear one another as believers if the love of God is not in you. That's like the whole theme of the book of 1 John. Same process here. And then what happens? You endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What does that mean? It means you have got to try so hard that it becomes a a seemingly insurmountable challenge. How many of us ever sat down and thought to ourselves, man, I'd really like to hike Mount Everest? Some of us are like, oh, I I, I hike Mount St. Helens. Okay, okay, good. Good on you. Praise God for that. Got these cool things called helicopters. Uh, anyways, <laughs> I'd much rather fly a helicopter than I would hike, but that's just me because I like those things. But, yeah, you know, and there, therein is the issue. How much are we willing to put into it? You know, endeavoring, that word talks a lot about the challenges, the, the determination, the purposing. They called one of the shuttles Endeavor. And why was that? Because it's a challenge to throw something in space. You take a look at how many times these, these, these guys have messed up sending things. Four billion dollar satellite sitting on top of a rocket and the rocket blows up. And everybody's shocked. I'm like, I'm not shocked! Explosives? I mean, come on, you know? It's a, it's a risky venture. Hopefully they had good insurance, you know? <laughs> it's like, wow. <clears throat> they gotta go build another four billion dollar satellite, put it on top of another rocket and sit there and hope it gets up there this time. Everybody cheers. You wonder why they cheer, you know, at, at mission control is because like, yeah, we got it up there and it didn't blow up. You strap seven people onto a rocket and send it into the air with some giant plane that's really not a plane. It's just a brick with something that looks like a wing. And you throw them up there and they go, oh, yeah, they made it. Because sometimes they don't. Challenger in Columbia. It's an endeavor to do that. Think of the hours that they put into putting that thing together. Checking O-rings and seals and, and, and tiles and everything that they're doing just to, 
just to get it out of our atmosphere. And, just, and then somebody's going to say, well, the earth is flat, so we really need to stop. Just stop, stop. I heard somebody saying the other day, okay, I need to stop, but i got to say this. This is so stupid. <laughs> Sitting there saying, oh, the earth is flat. It's like a disc. Oh, okay. But then it's got this dome on the top of it. So it's half a sphere. It's not a full sphere. So if we're willing to believe it's half a sphere, we can't just go the other sphere? And they're like, well, no, it's flat, and then it's got this sphere and this bubble. What is it sitting on? I don't know. And then there's this giant ice wall. Well, how big is the ice wall? I don't know. Nobody goes down there because of the Treaty of Antarctica. Because it's like nobody ever breaks any treaties with Antarctica. Seriously? They're all the governments in one world conspiracy theory are keeping people off of the continent of Antarctica. You can probably, they don't want to go clean up the bodies. It's not like a vacation spot down there. Where are you going? I'm going to Antarctica to get some sun and die. Frozen to a glacier. Again, climbing Mount Everest. But you think about it. We sit there and look at what people endeavor to do, the challenges that they try to put themselves through. You know, it's a challenge to keep that unity between brother and sister in Christ. Brother and brother and sister and sister. Isn't it a challenge? I mean, we probably could sit down and go through testimony time, but we won't. We won't. Look, I... Look... I'm not saying it's better or, or anything of that nature, but you know, I got saved very early on in my life. I grew up in church. I can remember always going to church. It's just, you know, again, it's what the Stewart family did, and I remember my family serving and everything of that nature. I just, I remember that stuff, but I do remember that sometimes it was a challenge for my parents and watching them get really, you know, into the nitty gritty about endeavoring when people say stupid things. What do you do when your 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 mom and dad started church and then they're kicked out of the church that they started because the new pastor decided that dad was trying to buy the Holy Spirit because he he was tithing? What? And mom 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 couldn't teach because there was there was men in the junior church class. You mean boys. No, they were men. No, they're boys. They're children. Come on. Really? Yeah. Get kicked out of the church you started. Yeah. That took endeavoring. Took endeavoring. You go through and you think about all the people that have wronged us. Each one of us said things to us, done things to us, done sinful things, done hurtful things, done mean things, done wicked things. I'll tell you this, you know, it's endeavoring. It's endeavoring to forbear them. It's endeavoring when you're exhibiting long-suffering. It's endeavoring when you are being meek and you're letting God handle it. And it's endeavoring when you put yourself and go, you know what? I'm probably just the same as that person. 
let's not sit there and compare ourselves among ourselves because, well, God says it's not wise. Oh, I'm better because I, this guy committed that sin. I'm better. Okay, so this guy robbed a bank and I robbed the 7-Eleven. Well, the bank is, you know, he's a little more wicked than me because the 7-Eleven, I mean, you know, they're just asking to be robbed. I'm sorry you use that analogy, but isn't that kind of the ridiculous nature of it? It's sin. It's exceeding sinful. God hates it. God thinks it's an abomination. Stop it. One sinner isn't better than another sinner. And none of us are better than another because we're all saved by the powerful and mighty grace of God in his mercy. So when we get lined up, we're the same. We're the same. That's that's what walking worthy of that vocation is. That's what he's talking about going back over there to Colossians, and, and, and we'll close with this because we're out of time. But he says there in, in, in that first part in, in verse 10, that you might walk worthy unto the Lord unto all pleasing. Does your walk please God? He just outlined what pleased God. What brings God pleasure to see his saints doing. That's what he desires. Now we'll pick up, Lord willing, next week, kind of moving on. We're getting bogged down a little bit here, but this is the principles of what Paul's really getting at with this book. we got to establish these, and then we'll start picking up a little more steam, but this is the important part of it. Got to establish the truth. Got to establish what we should be doing before we realize there's some things that we need to stop and some things we need to avoid and be careful of. So let's go ahead and uh, dismiss with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for your instruction and your teaching of us. Thank you again for your Holy Spirit that gives us that understanding. Pray, Lord, that we would just continue to think on these things, meditate, read forward, Lord, meditate more on those things that we read, that, Lord, we please you and honor you with all that we say and do. I ask and pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.